When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Hey, this is JJ French. Through five decades in the music industry, having sold over 20 million records, performed over 9,000 shows, and receiving 37 golden platinum albums as a musician, manager, and record producer. I'm also an author, motivational speaker, marathon runner, inducting to the Long Island Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, guitar collector, and a founding member of a little band you may have heard of called Twisted Sister. Now I'm ready to share the secrets of my survival in one of the most vicious and predatory businesses on earth, the music business. In my new podcast, The French Connection, the music business and beyond on podcast one get ready to hear real inside stories from me and my famous guests as they tell you how it's really done not just in the music industry either i guarantee that you will always learn something unexpected from successful survivors from many walks of life that's the beyond part that i'm so excited about don't miss the french connection the music business and beyond with me jj french tuesdays on podcast one spotify and apple podcasts Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Liu, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Kelly Eco, my colleague at The Athletic, and one of the most plugged-in people to the saga that is the Houston Rockets, and it was great to have a conversation where we really run through a lot of what is going on, from the front office changes to coaching change and the drama continuing to go on with James Harden. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you will, too. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. There is... A lot to talk about with the Houston Rockets, both their recent past, their present, their future. And I I think that what I've been grappling with the last little bit is all these big things that have happened, whether that's the departure of Maury and D'Antoni or the Westbrook wall trade, Covington being gone. Like there, one way of thinking about it is like, oh, this is all kind of the same. It's all, it's all in kind of thrown in the same thing. Like it's going towards the same goal or whatever. But another part of it is it's just, you know, ownership, general manager, depending on who's making that decision, making the, making the, the decision they think is best in that specific moment. And I was just kind of wondering what your read on that is. Is this, is this all kind of, going the same direction out of a plan or is this just the way each decision is made i think it's a bit of both obviously when you look at the departures in you know daryl morey mike d'antoni um there was a big part of that synergy that the rockets had uh loved for so long was gone and now bringing in rafael stone bringing in steven silas you know signing christian wood trading robert coverton i feel like that the overall theme is contention or at least the guise of contention you know they they want to they want to be a competitive team. They feel like they've made the the moves that will keep them, you know, competitive in the Western Conference. But as far as this particular path, 
I don't know. I think the Harden stuff kind of threw them for a loop, and they've kind of uh, had to recover from that. You know, the, the Westbrook trade for John Wall, um, bringing in DeMarcus Cousins, um, David Waba. You know, it just feels like they're trying to be a bit proactive, but the Harden trade request is the overriding, you know, thing of their offseason. So it, it's been a big, I guess, cloud over the franchise, but there's still some some semblance of synergy there, you know, you know, Stone has been with Daryl Moore for so long. Eli Wattis is still is still there. Um, you know, Steven Silas is a first time head coach, but he's been around the NBA for you know years and years and years. So overall, it seems like they have a plan. But like I said, the Harden trade request is still you know the biggest thing. Yeah, and I I think that's what's what's so fascinating, and I would say for Rockets fans should be heartening about yeah. the offseason so far is that I think the new look front office has generally done a pretty good job. I thought that they yeah. they did a night. So in the Robert Covington deal, I thought they got totally fair value. And then I like Christian Wood a lot. I think that they got him on a good contract, and, and that's really nice. And then, then a lot of the moves on the margins, you know, Sterling Brown and DeMarcus Cousins, hopefully that hopefully he can stay healthy enough. Like a lot of those type of things I do really like. And so I think that that is a part for me of why I think that it, it you can kind of think of it as a little bit more separate is that at this front office has been empowered to make what they think of as the right decisions. Now, is the the theory like especially for me on the defensive end of a team, you know, like my my operating idea for a long time has been as as great as James Harden is offensively that Given his limitations, you probably want to run a switching system around him, and the Rockets right. determine that. I think it works reasonably well. Now, running a switching system when you've kind of given up, you know, you, you've traded away Robert Covington, and you haven't really gotten somebody like him back, and then you bring in Christian Wood and Demarcus and some of these other guys, like that's going to be more difficult. Is that a big problem? I don't really know. I, I think that, and that, that's what you're kind of getting at. It's like they're. Each decision makes sense, and I have no like. It, and it, and it, not everything has to fit together in that beautiful synergy and all that type of stuff. I mean, getting Christian Wood makes it, it helps, and that's the, what, yeah. whatever direction you go in. Like you, I think that sometimes fans, in particular, but fans and media members and everything, they want a perfect synergy to use a word that you used before. And 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 I think that that there are times when that is true. You know, like especially if you are. You know, your title window is right now and you get a player that doesn't really make sense. Like that can be a real challenge. But at the same point, it's just like, okay, well, they got guys that are going to make sense. Even if maybe in, maybe the answer is they don't know exactly where they're going, but you get guys that might make sense wherever that is. Yeah, and I think Christian Wood is the is the best example of that. You know, even in a world where James Harden is not a rocket, Christian Wood in Houston is still a great signing. You know, I think Stone should get a lot of credit for pulling that move off. Um, with everything that's been said about, you know, Tom Fertitta in the past, um, you have to give credit where credit is due. They're, they're spending the money right now because they're currently, what, I think $6 million in the tax? I, I think, think I think it's a little less than that, but they're, yeah, they are in the tax they're, at they're, the moment. Yeah, yeah, they're a tax team. So um, you talked about defense earlier, and yeah, there's going to be a, a, a regression because, as you remember, whenever they did go small, initially the focus was to create havoc, force turnovers. It was kind of a moving away from kind of the shrink the floor scheme that they had with Clint Capella, which was to channel everything into the middle and and let Clint and some help defense come and get turnovers. Now, without Clint and going small, everyone was 6'6 six, six or below. Um, that turnover need was still there, but there were a lot of times where they looked you know, thin in the middle. They looked you know, lazy, and their defense kind of went up and down. At, at one point, it was the number one defense in the bubble. 
at one point. This season was 15, 16, 17. So bringing in Christian Wood, bringing in DeMarcus Cousins, you will switch less. You did speak to that today. The team is going to switch less. But they're also going to have more variety in terms of you know, job coverage, in terms of guarding pick and rolls two-on-two, in terms of help defense. And I think while you do take a step back and losing someone like Robert Covington, um, the possibility of having guys play in their natural position does kind of help things a bit. If you if you figure that P.J. Tucker can won't have to guard bigs as much, Daniel House won't have to guard fours as much, you know, the possibility of David Nwaba, um, how he'll look, the possibility of Sterling Brown, how he'll look if Eric Gordon is a bit healthier, how he'll look, you know, and John Wall if he's healthy. That helps things tremendously uh, on the defensive end. So I think what the Rockets are kind of hoping on is, um, first of all, a clean bill of health. And they hope that this period between training camp and the season is enough time to get guys on the same page and have guys kind of wean off that last season's, you know, Elston Turner's, those those guys um, on the coaching staff, kind of wean them to, you know, Will Weaver, John Lucas, Sonia Diop, um, Riggins, those kind of guys. So it's a process, but I think with the moves they've made, they're positive moves. Now the question is, can you put them together? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way of putting it, and it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how Stephen Silas manages that. Really, kind of whatever happens with the with the stars, and also how I mean. So, so you have all these different, and I want to get to Harden, but I kind of want to save that for last because I think it's an interesting right. way of of getting there. But so then the other big domino was the more recent one, which was the Wall Westbrook yes. Westbrook trade, and. I you 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 kind of brought up the, the like we've talked about kind of how to, how to frame all the Houston stuff and I and I, I think that the Wall Westbrook trade is kind of a fascinating piece in that because there is both a an affirmative like this is our team take for it and then there's also a if we're going to tank version of it and so like what <laughs> I find so fascinating so like because what bringing John Wall in I, I you can make an argument that it arguably raises. It raises their ceiling and lowers their floor, which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I think the reason why it raises their ceiling is because you look at the on-court fit with, with him and James Harden. Obviously, Harden hasn't been in practice yet. But, you know, Wall is not as a score-first kind of guy that, that Russell was. You know, he's more of a – he's more in the Chris Paul mode as far as traditional playmaker, you know, floor general kind of guy who wants to get guys involved – who kind of sees plays one, two, three plays ahead? The, those kind of cerebral minds. Um, he's he's a somewhat more of a of an outside threat than Russ was. I think his catch and shoot numbers overall for his career is around thirty seven percent, thirty eight percent. That's good, you know, for for a floor spacer. Um, and the usage, I think the usage is not as high. Last season, Russ had a thirty four point four usage rate, which is astronomical compared to James Harden's. And then when you look at John Walls, before he got hurt, I think it was around 23-24. So there's a there's a good reason for a, a good fit there. Now, we don't know how healthy he is in terms of against NBA competition, and that's going to be the biggest question. You know, he looks good in practice, but everyone looks good in practice. Um, how will he look come Friday when they play Chicago? How will he look next week? How will he look on the 23rd when they play the Thunder? You know, the Rockets want to be cautious with him. There is no speaking to them today. They said there's no kind of a a, a, a restriction on minutes, but they don't want to give guys too long of stretches, you know, on the court to tire them out or put unnecessary strain on those muscles. So, I think it's still a big question. Yeah, and I mean, with with Wall and like Wall and Westbrook, one of the other fascinating challenges as somebody who's followed both of their careers so intently is yeah. this off ball version of John Wall is something that 
it's more in the abstract because he has played with Beal, but remember, he hasn't really played with this version of Beal because Wall's been right. hurt almost the whole time. And so yeah. it, it is a better conceptual fit. Also, Wall and Westbrook are very different defensively, but I could imagine, you know, especially if Wall's engaged. The the interesting difference between them is, you know, Westbrook, it's the whole like wet, let Russ be Russ thing is he's so unbelievably good at the things that he focuses on. And then the limitations, as we saw in the playoffs, can can really come to bear. Now, Russ wasn't probably himself physically at that moment. And I think that, you know, there's always that kind of caution that you want to do. But you think about I, it was just something that struck me when the uh, when the that deal went down, and I'm not. This isn't meant in any way as a criticism, but you think about all of the work that D'Antoni and Maury together and separately at different moments did last season to make the to make, to accommodate Westbrook because his his skills, his strengths, and his weaknesses are very unusual. And like the most notable of those is probably the Clint Capella deal because you know the 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 offense didn't work the same way. And so you go through that, and that was a justified decision to make at the time, you know. And while I'm critical of the decision to acquire Russ in the first place and all the wall stuff, and we'll get there, or the, and the, the Chris Paul stuff, we'll get there maybe at some point. That once you have Russ, you kind of need to get the team in a specific place with Westbrook. And then to then all of a sudden it's like basically a year later he's gone, but it's also like just a fundamentally different team. So it's not like, oh, we're saddled with the team that we created to build around Russell Westbrook because they'd kind of already unraveled a lot of that in the first place. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the most fascinating things about that whole move and the initially because if you look at the Rockets holistically, it's you know, James gets what he wants, right? But when he when they got Russ, it really became of how do we accommodate Russ? Like you said, like they fundamentally changed their whole scheme to fit one guy, the guy who is now gone. So, you know, the Capella trade, obviously that had to happen to to make things work because the chemistry just wasn't there. But now, to, to Rafael Stone's credit, they've undone that. Like you said, they've they've brought in Christian Wood. They've brought in DeMarcus Cousins. They've brought in other guys to kind of make the roster more traditional. Um, and now what you can focus on is how do we make those pieces fit? Obviously, John Wall, um, you know, he hasn't played in two years. And that's going to be the biggest thing for me to see how he plays once James comes back, when he doesn't have the ball. He, um, he hasn't been the greatest cutter uh, without the ball. But, you know, that's that could be said for a lot of ball-dominant ball guards. You know, they just don't do that because they're so used to one thing. Now, bringing in another adept ball handler in James, there's going to be potential to kind of stagger. I want to stagger it as rigorously as Mike D'Antoni because I think that kind of hampered uh, those bench lineups. But I do think there are avenues to explore with Steven Silas of how can you get guys more involved. I think that's been the operative word. Um, more variety, more unselfishness, less isolations. And I think that's that's how you do it. But I have a question for you. So if you look at the Rockets roster right now, you look at um, the roster 2018-19 season, do you give more of a ceiling to the group now or do you do you push or you do you pull back because of the unknown, which is they haven't played together. You know, preseason is still days away and, and the season's still days away. So how would you evaluate, you know, their roster right now? It's it's a real challenge. I mean, so I I think that the offensive 
potential is still absolutely there. I mean, James Harden last year was the most in the regular season was either it's him and Luca. It's really splitting hairs between those two. They do it very differently of the most valuable offensive player in the NBA in the regular season between those two guys. If that James Harden is on the floor for the Rockets, they will be a great offense. That's just the way it works. And you can make a very sound argument, and I probably would, that the non-Harden minutes, let's assume he's still on the roster, so that's still a small portion of the minutes, that those will actually, that you could make an argument those will be better. The pieces, I think, fit together a little bit more simply. Also, we don't know how injuries are going to work. Maybe that goes one direction or the other. We don't know that. Defensively, I, I think there could be some real challenges. And then that's why, you know, especially if we're comparing it to like 18, 19, you start to get into some, into some real issues because those teams I thought had better, had better personnel. They had, you know, they had a different scheme things that could work and they had, you know, the, the, the mentality as you, like you talked about the attacking and all that. I thought they had really good players for that. And, and we don't know exactly what John Wall is going to be. We don't r- know how Christian Wood's going to fare in whatever system they run, all those sorts of things. So I would say there is, there is going to be a temptation when you consider all the uncertainty for people to like, maybe not write off the Rockets, but to think that that in this iteration, they aren't viable. And I think they absolutely are. I mean, teams with an offense this good generally are. Like, that's that's the way this right. works out. And their defense isn't going to be terrible. I don't think it's going to be great. But I don't think it's going to be, you know, like, awful or anything like that. Um, so, they'll be, so they'll be good. But I don't think of them... And, and this gets into the the idea... The, so, for, especially if we're talking... If you, you invoked 1819, of... What is the best case scenario? And maybe not, maybe not the hundred percent. Like everything works perfectly because that's going to be really, mm. really good for them. But if John Wall is very good but not amazing, and it takes a little time to execute, and I think that team is a definite playoff team and a team that could win a round, maybe two. But I don't think of them as maybe like last year. I had the Rockets as a second tier championship team, and they ended up losing to not only a first tier team but the team that won the championship. And I could see like this rocket season working out kind of like that. And that's really fascinating when you think about everything that changed. Um, but I would have had, so like, let's say 1819, I would have had that team as a probably a, well, I don't know if it's, I would have had them in the same tier as the tier one teams. Now it was different because the league was so different then, yeah. but like, so, so they're worse that like even the best case scenario to me is worse than where they were, but it might be worse by less than some think when you consider everything that happened. So if you're the front office and you understand that a lot of your defensive hopes are you know just that hopes, how do you I guess form a buffer against that? Do you bring in? Do you look to bring in another? Because obviously you can't bring in Covington, but there are guys out there you know that theoretically you could try to swing a deal for. I know I remember. Um, I saw something on Twitter. It was it was some deal involving Eric Gordon, but you know names like that. Like, how do you? Because now they do have somewhat of of a replenished uh, draft stock. Do you attach a pick to Eric Gordon and see what you can get if it, if it theoretically helps the defense? I wouldn't do that right now, but you maybe you you talk to teams and see what see what's interesting. Now with the Rockets, I think what's so fascinating is I wouldn't give up future assets to to make this team better unless I had a firm idea of what this team is. You know, like like and and that's there there's a lot of rush sometimes to try to figure everything out at the beginning and it's better to have things figured out at the beginning than in the middle. But I think it's an important part for Rafael Stone and Steven Silas and everyone to kind of figure out what they have first. And I think that that is partially the the newcomers and John Wall's health and you know like 
is DeMarcus Cousins a viable player? Like, you know, there right. are a lot, a lot of big questions. And what are we then? But then it's also what is going on with James Harden. And I, and I think that <laughs> the, the it's, it's challenging to make a commitment where there's a real sacrifice if that is coming too. And, and, and the answer right. might be, and it, before you know, whether that's, you know, whether that's that you, like that, that you know that you're going to keep him. Sure. Great. Work with that or know that you're going to make a move, but like it's that, that it, it's, you talked about it kind of as a, as a surprise and as a cloud. And I think that's in, in, in a useful way of, of kind of getting at, getting at it is you don't want to make moves on the margins when you don't know if you're throwing out that whole piece of paper. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's a way lead in. I mean, you, you wrote a really good piece on Tuesday at the athletic kind of getting at some of the, some of the core questions and with, I mean, this has been such a, such a weird off season when you think about the timeline and yeah. everything else, and it's been different in Houston. So, I mean, I think what pe- people will know the basics of the story, so we don't need to walk through that, but trying to figure out kind of where James Harden's head is at right now, like you got, like you tried to get the piece and also trying to just predict where this is going, because as you got, as you discussed, and I think this is such an important point. The Rockets are not in the same situation with Harden as some of the other stars that wanted out because no. he's under contract for a long time. Right. The leverage. Like that's <laughs> when you look at <clears throat> you know the Kawhi Leonard situation, you look at uh, Paul George, look at Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis, those guys had the upper hand because the clock was ticking loudly. And if those teams didn't try and scupper a deal for them, they would be left with nothing. James is on a contract for two more years, three if you consider his, his player option. So the Rockets don't have to play this quickly at all. Like they internally, they want they want to him to come in. They want him to be with the team and kind of see how everything shifts out. Because you know, for all we know, this could be the greatest thing for him. If you bring in a coach like Steven Siles, who does not want to play heavy ISO, who does not want to play a stagnant offense, and who has these visions and ideals, and if you if you just hear the players speak. You understand why they brought Stevens House in. He gives them hope, you know, of a, a more dangerous, more offense with higher variance, you know, more more pick and rolls, more actions, more read and reacts. Just the simplest things can make things a whole lot easier for everyone. So there is this belief that bringing James into that could actually make him happier because I remember there was a clip. I think it was on the All-Star break where Steve Steve uh, Steph Curry was talking to, I want to say, Mike Budenholzer? I want to say that. Maybe it was somebody else. But he was discussing how, you know, James maybe doesn't want to play that way at all, and it, it might be born out of necessity. So when you look at the roster they have now, if you get John Wall, and let's say John Wall isn't isn't the John Wall of old, but he's 75% of John Wall or 80, 80% of John Wall, James Harden doesn't have to pound the ball needlessly every possession. He doesn't have to do that. So there there are th- there are these things that the Rockets go through that, you know, that give you give you hope, you know, for James Harden if if he wants to stay. But, you know, the reality is, you know, there's also the other side that he may just be done with them. And <laughs> and if if that's the case, what is the best move the Rockets can make to, to get something of substantial return for him? Because they're not trying to get 50, 60, 70 on the dollar for James Harden. And that last point is so these there are a couple of different dynamics that have to be in concert. And so you brought up in, in the piece, you brought up, you know, Anthony Davis and, and Paul George and some of the other yeah. stars that went out. Paul George twice, you know, like that that wanted <laughs> out and Kawhi Leonard. 
is so there there are kind of two sides to this. So one is the the player having leverage because of the timing. But then the other thing that facilitates some of those deals is the kind of offer that makes it worthwhile. And so I mean right. the Paul George deal, the Anthony Davis deal are probably most prominent among them. And that it's probably not fair to expect that kind of return again just because that was the perfect storm of these two teams that had a ton of assets for very different reasons, knowing that this is the time to do it. And Oklahoma City and New Orleans really benefited from that. Right. But why I've been thinking the Harden situation is going to linger, at least for a little while, is because right. you have these you have the kind of the optimism and the pragmatism. So the optimism is maybe it works. Maybe this player who has been so central to our recent success and who, you know, his jersey is going to get retired in Houston and who very well could have, you know, could have a statue out in front of the arena one day that that it works out and that he that this catalyzes something and that maybe he's frustrated and and that it that maybe the vision like the path of being a contender opens up like i i I don't think the title contender part is necessarily as realistic but maybe he gets into that anyway that's one part the other part is just the realism which is i don't think knowing what i know right now that there is that perfect storm where there is a team that simultaneously has a clear need for james harden and has the assets and has the you no know, the, the the pressure and so I, I think that it is possible that one of that time changes one of those variables and it could be maybe Philadelphia or Brooklyn or some other team they they're closer than they thought they were and so now the all-in move makes more sense. That is a very real possibility. Maybe it's a team, not one of them, is looking weaker. Maybe you never hope that it's an injury with somebody else. Like there, there are so many different ways that the NBA season shuffles and reshuffles the deck with great teams and bad teams alike. And the deck is not to Houston's favor right now if the, if the idea is to get a real return in a Harden trade. So the smart thing to do is see if that changes. And so it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and all that, and it could lead to it could lead to a worse overall outcome. That, like that is a distinct possibility, right. but like especially when you look at like the reported like the the nature of what a Brooklyn offer really could be. It's not even like oh well, there's wait well this is what's on the table or anything like that. It's just okay. Karis Levert, good player, reasonably paid, but not like amazing. You know, he's just a totally fine guy. Jared Allen, I like him a lot. I think that he is a an intriguing young player, but he plays the least valuable position in basketball, and I like him a lot, but I don't see a ton of star potential there. And then right. they could probably throw in some draft picks. Okay, if the Rockets were to wait until the trade deadline or next offseason, it would stun me if an offer of that caliber was not available. Like, that is, that's kind of, it's not a worst-case scenario, you know, like, because th- things can always turn. But it's yeah. pretty close. I think that's the floor of an offer. Yeah, it, exactly. And there aren't that many teams right now. Just, just the weird dynamic that there are a lot of teams that are good that aren't asset rich, and teams that aren't good that kind of are. And so, the hope, I guess, would be that if you have to move him, and the hope would be obviously that you don't. But that if you do, something breaks loose with that. Maybe it's a team is better than expected, or something else. And then, and then at that point. You have that conversation, and especially when you have—I mean, while Stone has, I'm sure, has connections throughout the league, but building those, building that rapport over time, I think that could be useful too. 
Yeah, I, I do think that this is one of those weird situations where you kind of have to juxtapose the Rockets trying to win games with the Rockets' reality that James doesn't want to be there with what you know is out there in terms of league offers. Yeah. Because like there is a world where the Rockets could you know play the season. James looks as good as ever. The Rockets win fifty five percent of their games, and he still wants to go. Like that that could very much happen. Like it's not. It's not out the out of the, out the window. So I think what's fascinating is you see Rafael Stone in this new role, and he's instantly given this crazy challenge of you know, do you appease James and move him? Do you appease yourself and and keep your team competitive? You know, it, it's it's hard. It's hard to say. So I think right now they don't have to. They have the ability to play it slow and patient and kind of see how the, the rest of the league shifts. Because there will be teams that will come out, you know, and maybe two, three months' time, you know, with a need for James Harden. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, like things change. Like you said, the NBA changes on a daily basis. You know, an injury here, boom. All of a sudden, you there's a need for your a star shooting guard. So um, while it, it's, it sucks that Steven Siles has been kind of been put in the middle of this, he's kind of become the unofficial spokesman of the James Harden saga. Um, while you kind of feel for him, you do understand, you know, he did know what he was signing up for. There's no, it wasn't like he just walked into a room and next thing it was on fire. He kind of knew what was going on here, but no, he wanted the job. So I think the Rockets are in a place where they can be patient, but they also have to move with some urgency, if that makes sense. It it does. And I think the other part of this that sometimes gets lost in, in various shuffles is the degree that Harden has over this. Now, Given the specific nuances of the supermax contracts and all that type of stuff, I'm and again, I'm never going to blame a guy for taking the security. But if he wanted to have more control over this circumstance, yep, he could have signed a different contract. Yes. And when you, this is like, so I wrote a piece for the Athletic this off season arguing that Giannis should not sign a supermax extension for this exact reason. Basically, that things can change outside of your control. And the only way to exert that, basically, is to have free agency. And that can make it harder for your team. I mean, you can look at where the Cavs are post-LeBron. They hamstrung themselves to keep him happy. They won a championship, so I'm sure they're pretty cool with it. But, like, that's that's how it works. And so, with Harden, he ceded that control to Houston and got paid very well for it. And that's that's just part of the deal. And so I, I don't think that it's and he's it's he's entitled to kind of want to be somewhere else. I'm not I'm not criticizing that in any way, shape or form, but he is also at the team's mercy to some extent because he gave them that latitude. And that could be a challenge here. It, it could be. It, it might not necessarily. And I am sympathetic. I mean, of course, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's he's a an undeniably great player who is now in a very uncertain circumstance. And we don't know how long this prime is going to last. But that's just it, it, it's it's an it, it's a, there. It's not definitely an unfortunate situation. It's probably one. But that is You know, sometimes that happens in the NBA, and it's also, as you said, possible that it works out, and it's also, in all likelihood, very temporary, one way or the other. Like, it might be an entire season in limbo, but it also might not be, and it all all feels, and I I think back to the Jimmy Butler saga in Minnesota with this, it was so big, but it was also not forever, and I think that's... 
And that I think that's important actually for Rafael Stone in the front office to consider. And it's kind of sounds like this is at least the posturing that's been that way. Because, yeah, like the Jimmy Butler stuff, you could say, was a bad look. And I don't think Harden's going to necessarily go to that extreme. Um, I don't know. You never know where these things are going to go. And that's part of the fun of the NBA. But it's... It all kind of, you know, then you think back to, well, did they get a real return for him? Was it like, you know, what what will linger for the Rockets if they end up trading James Harden is not the memory of these couple weeks or whatever. It's going to be what they get for Harden if they trade. <clears throat> yeah. Um, honestly, talking about James and you mentioned something very interesting about those contracts. Um, I wanted to ask you about two other contracts and your thoughts on those. One would be. PJ Tucker's contract and his uh, extension, possible extension, and to Eric Gordon's max extension. Now, do you think in a vacuum, when Eric Gordon's contract was signed, did you say that was a good move, bad move, question mark? And now, looking at it now, how would you assess it? And also with Tucker's, because remember, he did come to Houston for less money in 2017. I'll start. I'll start with the positive. Um, Tucker, I liked his deal then, and it's gotten even better. I mean, you can make an argument. My frequent podcast partner Nate Duncan has said this before that PJ Tucker is the best mid-level exception contract in the history of the NBA. Like there is a very reasonable argument for that when you think about what he has meant to the Houston Rockets, and that is great for them. Now for him, I mean, it depends on what he wanted going in, and I mean, they he signed on for a team that was. genuinely great during a a majority of that run and so that i I think that hopefully he got what he wanted out of it and i and now like yeah i mean pj tucker still that you i think you'd love to have him on that contract and gordon i didn't love it at the time um i i think that he has been this kind of like intriguingly good fit with what houston was doing and i think that one of the dynamics of Houston's especially their switching scheme was having all these physically strong but smaller in height guys and I thought that Gordon was a great representation of that I thought that his defense at times in the Warriors series was underappreciated and I and you know his ability to be efficient without needing the ball in his hands all the time but also I think Gordon with the ball in his hands has been uh, somewhat underappreciated during this time as well I thought that that was actually something I disliked somewhat about the Russell Westbrook thing was just that we saw less of Eric Gordon being Eric Gordon and I enjoyed that quite a bit um, but that said, it's just a lot of money for him, and the injuries certainly make it look worse. So I didn't love it at the time. I like it less now, but I think that I, I think popular perception has probably shifted more dramatically than it has for me. And that, I mean, assuming general managers roughly match that, is actually far more important because I'm not one of the 29 other people whose opinions matter on this. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. <laughs> But, you know, overall, just I just think that this the way everything kind of played itself out with James Harden and the kind of Houston's mini collapse is really fascinating when you look at how it started. You know, when you go back to 2017-18, you know, going up 3-2 and the steady slow decline from that to what they are right now is extremely fascinating to look at. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's, it's almost to a point where you kind of think if they somehow beat Golden State, none of this happens. You know, there's no Russ in, in Houston. Chris Paul just stays here for the next two, three years. Maybe they win another title. You know, maybe they, they don't. But I think D'Antoni stays. I think Daryl Morey stays for sure. Um, and it almost gives you like the kind of eerie, eerie idea that, you know, trying to win a championship can 
low-key destroy teams like from the inside out just the, the pressure and the stress of trying to get to the top of the mountain sometimes you don't get there and, and sometimes there is no way to come down but to just fall yeah that's really true and it's i mean there is a a parallel to some extent with james harden's first team the oklahoma city thunder where they were extremely close to winning an NBA championship, whether you want to talk about the time they actually made the finals or I think they had a they actually had a better chance when they were up three one against the Warriors in sixteen and then and then lost that series and thus didn't get to compete for it. And it often is that close. I mean that that's just that's just the way this works. But it's that's also kind of what, what makes it beautiful to some extent is that it and it can be these weird twists of fate. It can be Chris Paul's hamstring or Andre Guadalla's injury or any number like I mean, you could you can go through NBA history and you can get all these. And the fact of the matter is very few teams, and there are some in recent vintage, are ever so much better than everybody else where those sorts of things don't matter. It's just that's that's what as as great and as as great as the NBA system is at choosing the most deserving champion. And I think that it is, I'm so thankful for that. I mean, as much as I love the NCAA tournament, it is a terrible way to pick a deserving champion. And I'm very interested. So like, I mean, yeah, you're, you're completely right. That could, it could have gone very differently. And you think about the legacy implications and the, the, just what the team looks like. And I, I think at a certain point, you just kind of, you just kind of chuckle and mutter, mutter to yourself and just go, that's, that's just the way the ball bounces, and it's it's wild that it can swing that dramatically. Yeah. Like so, that's actually an interesting thing. I mean, you you talked a little bit about the the Paul Harden dynamic and in, in, ver- in some of your various excellent work over the last little while. Like, thank you. Do you do you think that in a in a different world that was salvageable? Like, because that that's kind of the thing that I've I've been going back to is when when Maury traded Paul for Russ. A year, right. a little over a year ago. Like, I mean, I had very strong opinions about it, and you know, things kind of worked out in that way, though it better and worse at different times. If, like, if they had run, like, could they have run it back? Like, was or was that just so untenable at that time that Maury had to do something? I think it goes back to you know pleasing James Harden. When you look at Chris Paul's performance in that second round, um, he didn't play well for the first five games didn't play particularly well. I think that kind of stuck James the wrong way because when you look at how the season started, you remember the Rockets were terrible. They were 11 and 14, uh, bottom of the Western Conference. Chris gets hurt. Then you think, oh, hell, like this shit's about to sink. And James goes on that historic run. He carries the team by the scruff of its neck and he brings them back into respectable territory. So when Chris comes back, um, there's, there's always been that low-key tug of war. Chris, obviously being the older guy um, who wants to impart wisdom and knowledge on James Harden. And then you have James Harden, the, the slightly younger you know, MVP who isn't just tr- trying to hear all that. So when the playoff comes, the playoffs come and they are up against their old foe in Golden State. There's an expectation that both Chris and James are going to rise to the top. They're going to play their, their, their best series of their lives because Chris is healthy now and he wasn't the year before. So there was kind of a letdown on James's side about Chris not kind of holding up his end of the bargain. So, no, I don't think that was salvageable. I think that had run its course, clearly. It was, it was a two-year two year spell. And both times that you kind of wanted Chris to, to be that player who wasn't there. So, like, for example, the Chris that we saw 
in this past playoffs first round. If that Chris had been there last year, they would have beat the Warriors in, in that series, especially after KD went down. Like, they would have won that series. But, no, it wasn't. So I, I think that that situation had already run its course, and James wanted no parts of that moving forward ever again. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's as you kind of got into with the you know with the 2018 stuff and everything else it's like it is amazing how how all of that can happen in in such succession and it feels let's let's call it necessary or inevitable whichever way you want to go and then and then it's just it's just something fundamentally different from then on right uh i mean obviously there's a bunch of other other ground that we can discuss i mean i've written at length about the the rockets aversion to spending you and i've done collaborative pieces on it i think we've covered that ground enough other places unless you want to discuss it so i'll open the floor to you is is there anything else that you that you feel like we we should definitely talk about when we're discussing where the rockets are right now yeah i think the whole tax question um i think it's something that's really vague to a lot of people of taxpaying teams which teams pay the tax which teams pay the tax and actually win um i think that's a very interesting conversation to have so if you could kind of lay the groundwork for that sure so i the way that i think about the luxury tax is really you know unless you're you know the 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 richest of the rich, and there we can define that however we want to, and it's sometimes about what owners want to do rather than the market. But you kind of see it go both ways. But for me, the other group, and I've been aggrieved by the Rockets at this in recent times, and the Nuggets, and a couple others, is it's not that dramatic to pay it in a given like single year or so. And so, thus, when you are really competitive, that is the time to 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 take that cold drink of water and and to, to, to do the polar bear swim and just and just do it. And so that was what was so egregious to me about the Rockets in eight in seventeen eighteen, where they came into that season and everybody knew they were going to be like they were going to be great. They were the they were the biggest threat to the Golden State Warriors, and if anybody was going to do it, it was going to be them. And that year, it isn't always about, you know, sometimes it is dumping a first round pick to get off a salary, or it can be trading a player who's actually good for a player who's bad, or not using the mid-level exception, all those type of things. And so I started railing, I mean, it's really run throughout my athletic tenure, on that idea where it's basically, you know, it's, it's not going to be the move that makes you a championship team or not, but it can be like a, a depth issue that sinks you. And so basically, I was starting to hammer it at that point. And the way I handle spending generally with owners is it's show me, don't tell me. And so owners can rationalize it however they want. And also they can have changes of heart. Like Oklahoma City traded James Harden in part to duck the luxury tax and then eventually paid the luxury tax because they had a change of heart. That can happen too. And so what I've been, uh, why I've aggressively gone after the Rockets is because when Tillman Fertitta took over, the Rockets were one of the two best teams in the NBA. And they, whatever rationale we're going to see, I don't really care about that. I care about the the product on the floor. They sacrificed quality on the floor to save money. And that bothers me. And so I'm, I was pissed off about it. I'm still pissed off about it. Yeah. Um. um so when you look at, you know, the moves they made, um, the, the Trevor Reason one is the one that kind of gets the most run. Trevor Reason and, and the James Ennis. But looking at Trevor Reza now, could you make the argument that, you know, maybe the Rockets didn't want to pay? Like, say, so if, if Ariza was available at the same money that Tucker is, like $8 million, $9 million, you would take that, right? 
Like 20, 2018, summer of 2018. If, if, if Ariza is there for eight, nine million, do you take that? Yeah, I mean, versus, especially especially if it's kind of him versus nothing, which is what yes, in certain yes. certain situations, it's like, yeah, I mean, having a, having another guy in your rotation is better than not having. Right, him. but it's yes. not, yeah. so so if you were in the front office, would you bite the bullet if if Trevor comes to you and says, "I want to make sixty million over four years," or "I want to make forty five over three years," and you're the Rockets just coming off that you know game seven heartache, do you? Bite the bullet, even though you know that Ariza's value is probably declining. What would you do specifically in that situation? I mean, you try to get the number to the most manageable that you can, and then okay. at that, like, because because I mean, th- at a certain point, like this is the parallel would be like the Clippers with Marcus Morris. Like they didn't. It doesn't seem like they fought to get the number as low as low as they could. They paid it anyway. Whatever. That that's the owners ownership's money. But for me, it's the the assessment of where do how does this affect our if what you care is about, care about is a championship how does this right. affect it and for me like the there is this idea for me it's like and i think it was henry abbott somebody talked about this recently like the last contract is always bad like that's just the way it works out is that there's going to be there's going to be some negative money on your books because if everything worked out perfectly it it just it never happens that way and so yeah i think you have to tolerate you have to tolerate some some bad money. Now, was Ariza so good to to justify that? I mean, if it's a three year deal, I think you probably take that plunge just because that ties in pretty closely with with Harden and everything else. And so, yeah, I probably would have. But I mean, you can also see like Ariza, while he's been you know a decent enough player, it's I, I think that the the argument probably is that the Rockets weren't going to win the title anyway. Um, but I think my, my general stance is if, you know, this is my NBA morality, let's call it, is that when you're close, you go, you go for it. And when you're not close, because that buys you the, that buys you the latitude when you're not. And, and so that it, and it's a challenge. I mean, it's, it's, it's imperfect. And the other part of it that makes the luxury tax argument so challenging. And I, I try to talk about this as much as I can. We've done it in our stuff together. Is it's not my money, and it's so much easier to spend somebody else's money than your own. <laughs> you know, like, that's just the way it works. <laughs> but at the same point, I owning an NBA team is a luxury, and you are putting yourself in that arena to do that. And so I think that to me, like, so if you want to talk about this from Adam Silver's perspective of who you get to own, who you approve as owners to own teams. Or anything else. It's like, I think that it should be a basic goal for the NBA. And yeah, there can be extenuating circumstances. I'm not specifically saying anything about this one. But conceptually, to me, ideally, all 30 NBA owners would be people who would be willing to, for let's say two years, go five to 10 million in the luxury tax if they were a top four team. Like, I think that would be a reasonable goal. Or you construct these cap tax structure so that any team should be willing to do that. Like and so that's that's kind of the way it works for me. And any team that breaks that line, I'm gonna yell about it. That's just the way it works. Alright. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Um I there I feel like there are other other avenues that we could go down, but we'll hopefully we'll have a chance to do that in the future. It's been an absolute pleasure yeah. talking with you. Sir. Sure. Thanks again to Kelly Eco for coming on. You can read his great work at The Athletic, and you can also hear him do podcasts. Uh, I, I'm guessing they're renaming or rebranding Brody and the Beard, but he does great work there. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Kelly Eco NBA, K E L L Y I K O NBA. Love having him on. And it is amazing how quickly the season is coming, not only the regular season starting on Friday, but I mean, the preseason starting on Friday, but the regular season coming 
pretty quickly on its heels. So I have a couple things that I want to do between now and then. We'll see if I can make that a reality. That is my hope, and that's a great reason to subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe and download every episode. Also, you can spread the word by leaving a rating and review and whatever podcast player you use. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts, but totally understand if it's not. And word of mouth, that can be important for a single episode or more broadly. And even though this show has been around a while, that still can make a big difference. So I really do appreciate it. You can also check out my work at The Athletic. That's where my written work is. And then audio, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime and Dunked On. And then I also appeared on Sam Vecini's Game Theory podcast. I don't know if that's been released yet, but it's been recorded. So it should be out fairly soon. We went through the Western Conference moves. So that was a lot of fun. And I will be doing live game podcasts in some form. We're still working on exactly what that's going to be once the season actually starts. So you can look for that as well. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I will reply if I can. That is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Mm-hmm.